Again, I want to welcome you to Kingsway and let you know if you're new or visiting that we've been studying the book of Ephesians as a church for some time since the beginning of the year. So if you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, it's one of Paul's letters to a church named Ephesus. And as I am fond of saying on many occasions, if you need a table of contents or the little index at the top of your smartphone app, there's no shame in that. It is the word of God, whether in print or electronic form. And once you've found the book, go ahead and open to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Lord, give me grace now to preach your word. You know, I was thinking this week uh, back to childhood and remembering that I was consistently on the low end of all the growth charts for height and weight. Anybody else in that predicament grew up with that? No, the rest of you were like average or above average? Okay. Well, to those of you who humbly raised your hands, I'm with you. Thank you, Elmer. Yeah, I, I was consistently on the low end of all those growth charts for height and weight. And until age 11 or so, I didn't really give it a second thought. It just didn't phase me. Um, you know, it's one more paper that winds up on the floor of the van, and who cares? There's a million papers there. The only thing I cared about at the doctor was whether or not I would have to get any shots and whether or not in the little treasure chest that every good doctor's office has, there were any thing, good things worth eating or toys worth taking. Those are the things I was concerned about at the doctor's office. But as I grew older, you know, that began to change. And by the end of middle school, everyone seemed to be hitting their growth spurt except me. So I had friends like Tim Emerson, Tom, Anthony. Anthony had like a full dark beard by age 13. <laughs> Nathan, if you've been around for a while, you might know some of these names. I could go on. So it's like, you know, Tim, Tom, Anthony, Nathan, and Matthew. And Matthew was 15 years old, barely over five foot, and still singing alto in the choir. Yeah, I know, you should feel, I, I'm feeling sympathy coming by. Um, that, by the time I hit middle school, started to bother me. And thankfully, a year later, when I was 16, the Lord took care of that life crisis, and I finally shot up another foot. Praise be to God. And for a decade or so, all thoughts of growth charts vanished. Wasn't concerned about growth charts. That is until my wife and I started having kids. So suddenly they took on a new importance. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Questions like, are they gaining weight? Are they losing weight? How much are they gaining? How fast are they gaining? How, how long is their body? How big is their head? You know, how, Lisa always says, they all have big heads. We know where you, they got that, Matthew. Um, you know, you, you start asking these kinds of questions. Are, are they growing at the right pace? At every step in their development, as a parent, you want to know, are your kids developing or growing 
the way they're supposed to grow. And it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know why we care about that. It's because physical growth is important, right? Physical growth is, is critical. When it comes to human development, you don't want to stay in Neverland. Those of you who are familiar with Peter Pan, you know, the Neverland was the place you never grew up. When it comes to human development, you don't want to stay in Neverland. Because if you're not growing, something's wrong. And you may sense where I'm going with this. Friends, that's true in the physical realm with physical kids. It is no less true in the spiritual realm. Right? If you're not growing in your life with God, your relationship with God, something's wrong. Something's wrong. God made us to enjoy a growing relationship with him. That's our vision as a church, to be a people who help one another enjoy a growing relationship with him. And if we're not growing, something's wrong. It's not enough to have a relationship with God, just have one, any more than it's enough to just have a human body. I mean, think about it. You would never say to a little kid, hey, do you have a human body? Okay, great. Uh, next question. No, you, you would be wondering, is your body growing the way it's supposed to? Because if it's not, something's wrong. And friends, Christian maturity growing in our relationship with God is not one bit less essential. Not one bit. Look what, look what Paul has to say. Hear, hear the word of the Lord, Ephesians 4. I'm going to focus on 14 to 16, but read from 11 just to, to give us some context here. The Lord says through Paul, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now listen very carefully. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, there's, Paul, Paul makes a lot of different points in that text, but the main idea, I would argue, is crystal clear. Main idea, God designed the body of Christ, that's us, to grow into the image of Christ, that's him, by speaking the word of Christ. That's all Paul's saying. God's designed the body of Christ to grow into the image of Christ, by speaking the word of Christ. This scripture is all about growing 
as a Christian, the necessity of growth, the means of growth, and the result of growth. Those are the points I'm going to cover this morning. So first, the necessity. Here's the first point Paul makes. Christian growth is not optional. It's not optional. Okay, look at verse 14. Very first thing Paul says here, very beginning of the verse, he warns us that there's something we've got to avoid. What's he say? So that we may no longer be children. Now, let's just make very clear at the outset that he doesn't say that because God is anti-kids. Okay? Well, how do we know that? Well, what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. So, so he cares for kids. Paul isn't saying this. God's not saying this through Paul because Jesus is anti-kids. So what's he doing? Well, he's using children as an analogy, an illustration of sorts, for what an immature, think not growing, Christian is like. Okay? The moment, it's very important, The moment that you receive the gift of relationship with God through faith in Christ, you are immediately forgiven of all your sin. Declared righteous, filled with the Holy Spirit, and adopted into the family of God as his beloved children. That happens, brothers and sisters, the moment you become a Christian. God doesn't dangle that out down the road for us in pieces. All of that happens at once. But the fact that all that's happened, that we've been saved, doesn't mean the story's over. It's so important. In many ways, we're just getting started. Why? Because we have to persevere. We have to grow. We have to become holy as he is holy. First Peter 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Why? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. What's what's Peter saying? We're saying the same thing that Paul's getting at here when he talks about children, immature Christians in Ephesians 4. He's saying that we prove the authenticity of our faith, the genuineness of our faith, through the way we live. Okay, in other words, you can't say you're a Christian if you're not growing in godliness. If you don't look more like Jesus today, then the first day that you were saved, something's not right. Something's not right. Because it's through our ongoing growth as a Christian, friends, that we reach the end of our lives confident that God has in fact 
called and chosen us for salvation by grace alone. Okay, we don't, we don't earn, please hear this, we don't earn our salvation from the wrath of God against our sin by growing in godliness. That was a great moment to say, praise be to God. <laughs> we don't earn salvation from the wrath of God against our sin by growing in godliness. But so what do we do? We grow in godliness because we can't claim to be saved if that's not happening. Very important distinction. If we're not maturing in the faith, something's not right. Which is why the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now I would argue he's not kidding. He's not kidding. It's not like, well, I said it, but because of Jesus, it's not true. No, no. He's not kidding. It's a real warning. It's a sobering warning. It it should get your attention because if as you evaluate your Christian life, friend, if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, becoming more like Jesus, then, then best case scenario, you are an immature Christian. Worst case scenario, you're not a Christian at all. But even in the best case scenario, and you're simply not maturing in the faith, then as Paul says in Ephesians 4, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Why? Look back at Ephesians 4, verse 14. What happens to children, to immature Christians? You're going to be, quote, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of human doctrine. Tossed to and what? What are you talking about? Well, it's, it's simple. Paul's saying that if you're not maturing in the faith, then you're incredibly vulnerable to false teaching. To lies about who God is, what God does, and what it means to follow him. You're not maturing in the faith. You are unbelievably vulnerable to all of that. All of that. And I want to give you just one example from our own day and age. Okay? Again, Paul's helping us see that Christian growth is not optional. Let me give you an example here. There are professing Christians out there who would argue that because we are saved by grace alone, made right with God because of what Jesus does for us, not what we do for him, that's all true, they would argue that because of that, it doesn't ultimately matter how you live. We're not saved by works. End of story. And they would say that anyone who contends otherwise is diminishing the total freedom of the saving grace of God. Okay, there are people in our country, very popular, who are teaching that and writing books to convince us that they're right. Now, how does that play into what Paul is saying here about the danger of Christian immaturity? Well, here's how. If you have been sitting under biblical preaching 
humble, orthodox, biblical preaching and teaching for many years, if you have been reading your Bible for many years, then that teaching that I just summarized should strike your ears at a minimum as strange. Something inside of you should say, hmm, I don't know about that. If you just had one of those moments, that's really good. (laughs) That's really good. Why do I say that? Because of everything we just saw in 1 Peter and Hebrews 12, to which I would add James 2. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. It's dead. What are the free grace folks doing? They're elevating one truth, which is true, namely, that we are saved by grace alone, but they're doing that at the expense of another truth, namely, that the grace that saves us is also the grace that sanctifies us. We don't get to pick, friends. You get in trouble. You read church history. How do we go astray? How do we get tossed to and fro by the waves? It always happens in most cases because we start fixating on one thing that's true and we lose sight of all the other things that are true. You could trace every heresy in the church back to that move. Now, let me be very clear. I don't believe that every example of false teaching is propagated with an evil, malicious intent, okay? There are are many in the history of the church, very clear on this, who have knowingly taught things that are false in an attempt to acquire power or possessions for themselves. Okay, that is wrong. But I would argue that many of the folks in this example I've brought this morning in the free grace movement, they're not teaching what they're teaching with a knowing, malicious, deliberate intent. And yet, You don't have to be knowingly teaching what is false to, in fact, be teaching what is false, okay? And even when someone might not realize, like I think many in the free grace movement are, they don't realize that what they're teaching is false, behind every lie about who God is, what God does, or in this case, what it means to follow him, the necessity of personal holiness. Behind every lie that we hear read about that, friends, Paul warns us here, there lurks the face of the evil one. Satan presses through those things. He doesn't care if the conduit is knowing or unknowing. He is all too happy and willing and eager to use anyone, professing Christians included, to teach us supposed truths that in the long run lead us away from the truth of the gospel. You don't have to be knowingly scheming in order to be participating in the devil's schemes. And that's why maturing as a Christian is so important. That's why faithful pastor teachers who bring us the word of God in a faithful way week after week are so important because God doesn't want us to remain children. God made us to grow. He's not down on children, but something's not right if children don't grow. It's true physically, it's true spiritually, because if you remain a child in a spiritual sense, an immature Christian, you are vulnerable to so much false teaching. I I love how John Calvin says, to this point Paul's making, that Christian growth is not optional. 
Calvin says this, for it is not enough, Kingsway, hear this, it's not enough for us to have begun, nor yet to have gone a certain distance, unless it is written in our hearts that we must continue to develop until our dying day. That's true. We must not remain children. Christian growth is not optional. God designed the body of Christ to grow. That's the first point. Okay, here's the second. It's not optional. Here's Paul's second point. Christian growth is always relational. It's not optional, and it's always relational. Okay, so think of it this way. If verse 14 reminds us of the necessity of growth, you're in trouble if you remain a child in the faith, then verse 15 provides the means of growth. Okay, Paul, tell me, how am I going to grow? Tell me what to do. How's this going to happen? Look at verse 15. Paul says, rather, instead of remaining a child, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Well, what's Paul saying here? He's putting a lot in one sentence. The first thing he's saying, he's reminding us that at a fundamental level, all growth in the Christian faith requires relationship. Okay? If you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to mature in the faith, you have to live in close relationship with other Christians where you can hear the truth spoken in love. Why do I say that? Matthew, I don't see the word relationship in here. Where where are you getting this? Well, it's very simple. Speaking the truth in love requires two people, a speaker and a listener. (laughs) Not rocket science. Speaking the truth in love. I, I, I can do that with my computer. Well, no, you can't. You can't. It requires a speaker and a listener. It's a human relational dynamic. And here's where if I could just plead with you, let, let's just be brutally honest with each other. Brutally honest. Some of us don't want to do that. We don't want to live in close relationship with other Christians. Some of us aren't doing that. You know, we don't, we don't want to be known. We don't want to be vulnerable. We, we don't want authentic community with other Christians because relationships are messy. They're always messy. And it's not just, I would argue, because we're independent, self-sufficient Americans. It's because we're proud. We're arrogant. There's something in my heart that wants to think that for the most part, I'm doing a pretty decent job making a living, taking care of the wife and kids, And that unless I hit a really rough patch, I don't need close, real, honest, authentic relationship with other Christians. It's nice to know they're available, have them them on, on call, so to speak. If I get in trouble, they're there, like my doctor. I don't live in close relationship with him, but you know, he's there, that's nice. But but week in and week out, I'm busy. Right? You're busy, they're busy, we're all busy, we're all, we're all tired and worn out. Who needs another evening meeting on the calendar to do this Christian relationship thing when I've got to get up at 5 a.m.? Right? I, your pastor thinks like that. 
okay? Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you're going to grow as a Christian, it's only going to happen if every spare moment in your calendar is packed full all the time, seven days a week, with hanging out with other Christians. There are two problems with that. One, very quickly, you can't share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus if you don't have any friends who don't know him. Two, hanging out with other Christians doesn't mean you're actually speaking the truth in love with other Christians. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the main problem here is that if you look at your calendar, it's going to reflect your priorities. And the only other thing that's about as good at doing this is your checkbook. And if there's little to no time on your calendar when you're building real relationships with other Christians where you can know and be known by one another, then this Paul promises you, this I tell you today, you're not growing. You're not growing. Christian growth is inescapably relational. It requires relationship. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you, graciously, lovingly challenge you. If, if God's convicting you as I'm speaking, that you've used busyness as an excuse to avoid living in close relationship on a regular, ongoing basis with other Christians, or, or that you've convinced yourself that, you know, I'm just not a people person, or, or other Christians are weird. Well, confession, we're all a little weird. You know, and, and you just sort of thrown those things up as obstacles, saying, no, I'm not going to go there. I, I'm not going to do the relationship thing. I'm just going to stay here. It, whatever you've used to throw up as roadblocks in the way of doing relationship in an honest, transparent, humble, ongoing way, brother, sister, we need to confess that to the Lord. We need to confess that to the Lord. We need to humble ourselves we need to confess to him our, our lack of faith, our unwillingness to believe that he's, he's actually waiting to help us grow through relationships, even, even when it's messy, through the mess, and then we need to step out in obedience. Okay, so what does this look like? I can take different forms, but, but for you, it might mean joining. I would argue for most of us here, if you remember this church, it means joining one of our community groups. Okay, that meets during the week to help one another follow Jesus in every area of life. If you're not familiar with a community group, that's a group of ideally eight to ten adults. Some of you can laugh if your group is like 30. <laughs> that meet together on a regular basis for this purpose, to help one another learn to follow Jesus in every area of life. Okay, we need that. All right, maybe that means grabbing coffee with a small circle of brothers or sisters three to four guys if you're a man, three to four ladies if you're a woman, something like that, before or after work, where you can go a little deeper than you can in a large mixed group. You know, around here we call that a fellowship group, community groups, fellowship groups. But, but regardless of the label, okay, regardless of, of your current experience when it comes to living in relationship with other Christians, I want to encourage you if you're thinking, I need some help here, Matthew, to, to read a book by a guy named Jonathan Dodson, called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. Hey, how many of you have read this? Just slip your hand up. Brian, Kelsey, couple. All right, we gotta work on this. So this is not the Bible, right? I'm not promoting this. It's the word of the Lord. But I found this book really helpful 
in guiding me and thinking through how do I get from the point where I am, right, to the point where God wants me to be, where I'm living in close relationship with other Christians who can help me grow by speaking the truth in love. He, he, it's very practical, it's not just a theoretical book, and the three best points he makes in here are this. Doing real community with other Christians requires three things. Know your sin, fight your sin, trust your Savior. Isn't that good? Know your sin, fight your sin, trust your Savior. We've, we've got copies of this in the bookshop. Uh, you can pick it up, or if you're a Kindle person, you know what to do. But check that out. The, the key point here is that Christian growth is always relational. Okay, the structures can change, the labels can change, but it's this principle of living life in Christian community that matters most. That's the first thing Paul's getting at in verse 15. Okay, here's the second thing. This is still under the, the point. Christian growth is always relational. Okay, here's the second thing we need to see. The truth that we're called to speak in these relationships is the truth of the gospel. Very, very important. When Paul says, oh, we could make fun of ourselves for hours here on this. When Paul says, we're to speak the truth in love, He's not saying that whatever I feel is true in the moment is what should come out of my mouth. Okay? That's called venting. And usually, it comes out in the form of grumbling, complaining, and anger. You know, it's like, why are you so upset, babe? I mean, all I did was tell you that the house is a mess, dinner tasted terrible, and intimacy is like something to be desired. I just told you like it is. I'm just telling the truth. Look at Ephesians 4. Speak the truth. You got it? You asked for it. <laughs> How many men have done that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And then we sort of justify ourselves like, well, see, your truth. Home run for the truth. Well, like false teaching, Something within you should hear that and say, something's not right. Something's not right. The truth in verse 15 is not a truth of our own making. It's not first and foremost the truth of our perspective, the truth of our feelings. Oh, we love to enthrone the authority of our feelings. It's the truth of the gospel, okay? Paul doesn't let us define what the truth is. He's not going postmodern on us because in Ephesians 1, verse 13, he defines the truth. What does he say? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, help Paul define it, the gospel of your salvation. What's the truth? We're speaking love. The gospel of our salvation. What's that mean? It means if you're gonna grow as a Christian, what all the Christians around you need from you and need and you need them to do for you is to speak, teach, warn, assure, remind, and explain how the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection intersects and affects and applies to all the gritty details of real life. That's what speaking the truth looks like. If we're going to follow Jesus as, as husbands, as students, as employees, as parents, we need that kind of help, friends. We need that kind of help. I, I think back to, just real briefly, a couple weeks ago, 
when I was about to preach a sermon here behind this pulpit. And instead of having a quiet morning where I'm praying and meditating God's word and preparing to preach, I spent an hour working through an issue with one of my kids. And daddy got really angry. And I was even more angry because I was thinking with every minute that I'm with you and not in the word of God, getting ready to preach the word to God's people, I'm not gonna be ready and you're the reason. So, as my anger is rising, my tone of voice is rising, my feeling of anybody but me deserves to preach right now. I texted some people um, there's a lot of people I could text. I shot a quick text to two guys in my community group that I talked with recently, and, and they just said, Matthew, I just told them, here's what's up, I'm angry. I'm supposed to preach, please pray. <laughs> they got it. And, and they wrote me back and they did this. Two things, uh, brother, the Lord forgives your sin. You're forgiven, Williams. And then the second thing one text back is, you better remember that God uses weak men to preach a good gospel. You know what that's called? That's called speaking the truth. That's speaking the truth. I, I need that. That's what it means to speak the truth. And Paul, Paul warns us here because Christian growth isn't just essential, it's always relational. You have to speak the truth and it has to be done in love or in a way that, that brings the greatest possible good to the person listening. Okay, we've got to be very careful here. In verse 15, we don't have two commands. Speak the truth and speak in love. Okay, we tend to think that way. We, we tend to think like this. Well, I probably could have been more loving. Actually, I wasn't loving at all. But at least I spoke the truth. Or we think, you know, I was really loving. I probably should have spoken the truth. But at least I was loving. That's impossible. Why? Because there's not two commands in verse 15. There's one. If you translate it literally, it literally reads, truthing in love, which is the title of the sermon, truthing in love. Because if you haven't spoken the truth, your words are not loving. And if you haven't spoken in love, your words are not truthful, friend. They're two sides of the same coin. We can't have the one without the other. The truth of the gospel is always loving. It always meets us at our greatest point of need. Okay, and, and the love of God is always truthful. The kindest thing he does for us, the kindest thing you, you and I can ever do for someone else is help them connect who God is and what he's doing through Jesus to that detail, that circumstance, that situation. That's the most loving thing you can ever do for a brother or sister. You can't separate it. It's not truth or love. It's truthing and love. Christian growth is always relational. Okay, it's not optional. It's always relational. Here's his last point. Christian growth is Christ-centered, not man-centered. Christ-centered, not man-centered. Okay, and we're gonna, we're still in verse 15. Because there are two phrases, two phrases in verse 15 
that are absolutely essential for us to grasp if we're going to realize what Paul's saying here about Christian growth. So track with me. What's he say? How are we going to grow? Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I thank God for how many examples of godliness there are in this church. I really do. I thank God for how many of you can honestly say to all the rest of us, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, but, it's, but as much as it's important that we set an example of godliness for the Christians around us, here's the reality, friends. Growing as a Christian isn't about growing into the image of the person next to you. It's about growing into the image of Jesus. It's not about you becoming more like them so much as it, as it is about you becoming more like him. Now there's a risk, and I sense this, in me saying it that way. The risk is that we would think that those two things are opposites, right? Like either I'm following your example or I'm with Jesus. And sometimes we use that to justify not learning what we need to learn from the example of other Christians. Don't do that. Okay, because if, if we're really following Jesus, then my example should lead you to do the same. But I think sometimes we, we equate these two things, following Jesus and learning from other people, in, in a way that gets us in a lot of trouble. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, in the name of helping other Christians grow, you and I can tell them to make all the same choices that we've made in a given area of life where God, through the gospel, really does give us freedom to embrace and walk out a variety of different practices that are equally faithful to the word. Okay? So for example, what do you mean by that? The way that I parent my kids might not look like the way you parent your kids. However, both of our parenting practices should be governed by God's word and built on the truth of the gospel. But my goal in helping you grow, if you're a parent like I am, is not to make you parent like I do. Nor is my goal to tell you to parent however you want to. Okay, my goal, if I'm going to help you grow as a parent, as a Christian, is to help you learn how to follow Jesus as a mom or dad. And I would argue that takes more work because it's relatively easy to say to someone, and I'm guilty of this, well, okay, you're, you're having a hard time. Well, let me help you. When I was in that situation, warning, warning, <laughs> I did this. You should too. Can I pray for you? Now, is it wrong to share illustrations from our lives of how God is helping us apply the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, to a given area of life? No, it's not. It's important, in fact. It's important. But we cannot fail, we cannot fail to help one another move through that and begin pressing into relationship with Jesus and figure out how he wants us to honor him and grow into his image by applying the truth of the gospel to a particular situation. That's hard. 
That takes work. That takes patience. But in the long run, please hear this. I don't want, we don't want people conforming into my image. I'm not the head. Jesus is. Jesus is. You know, have you ever noticed, think about this, how disproportionate newborn kids are when they're born? You ever notice that? What is like way outsized on a newborn kid? The head. Yeah. I mean, if you, I remember stepping back when our first child was born thinking, whoa, like, you birthed the head. You know, it's, you're, all the ladies are like, oh, uh, yeah. And so, what's the point? The point is that for the first, like, four, five, six years of a child's growth, what are they doing? They're growing into the head. It's the same thing spiritually, friends. We need to spend our Christian life growing into the image of our head into Christ. So that means that the Christian growth isn't just essential, isn't just relational, it's, it's Christ-centered in that ultimately we learn from the Christians around us as we speak the truth in love, but ultimately we follow Jesus and we grow into his image, okay? Here's the last way, in closing, that our growth is Christ-centered. How's it Christ-centered? Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Every way. Every way. Okay, there, there are two ways that our growth becomes man-centered instead of Christ-centered. The first is we substitute following Christ for following people. We just talked about that. The second is, is that we give ourselves a pass because we measure ourselves to the other Christians around us. We compare and we say, well, I think I'm par for the course when it comes to growing as a Christian. I've reached a, a point where I pretty much look like the other Christians around me, more or less, so I think I'll just kind of throw it in neutral. Right? I, I call it Christian maintenance mode. And, and you've seen this maybe if you've watched a new, uh, somebody becomes saved. Well, what happens the moment somebody becomes a Christian, immediately it's like watching a movie on fast forward. All sorts of areas of their life just begin to change. I've seen that with some of you. I had the privilege of, of watching that. God saves you. You begin to grow in amazing ways. But then over time, w- when you start to feel like, you know, I've sort of conquered the big sins, all my major faults are, are kind of under wraps at least, we, we throw it into neutral. That's terribly wrong. Because the goal in growing as a Christian isn't to reach a point where you're batting 300 and you just play your way into retirement. The goal is to grow in every way. And Paul is arguing us arguing here when he says in every way that in fact one of the signs of genuine Christian maturity that you're actually growing is that the longer you are a Christian the more you're aware of all the ways you still need to grow. That's what he's getting at. God wants us to live, God commands us to live a self-examined life. And if somebody comes up to you this morning and says how is God helping you grow as a Christian and you can't say anything I don't know. That's not good. That's not good. We need to be able to give a thoughtful answer. How are we growing? How am I growing? How are you growing? Into the image of Christ. Otherwise, we become spiritually lazy. Friends, we're not done growing 
because Jesus hasn't perfected us yet. It's a work that he does. It's a work that he empowers through his spirit. But hear this morning from the word of God. Growing as a Christian is not optional. It's always relational. And it's Christ-centered, not man-centered. God designed the body of Christ to grow into the image of Christ by speaking the word of Christ. And we need help to do that, which is why we're gonna take some time to pray for God's help uh, by singing and by sharing the Lord's Supper. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, these are true words, but these are not easy words. They make a big claim on us. A hard claim, a, a truthful claim, a loving claim. And I pray, Jesus, that you would do two things right now. That you would give us faith that you want to help us grow. Lord, you've said in your word that it's through the body that we're built up. Ultimately, that comes from your hand. It starts with your gifts. It starts with your word. It flows out of your gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us the way we are, but for transforming us day by day into your image as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. Lord, I pray you would make this a community of men and women who live in authentic, transparent relationship and are faithful, starting with me to speak the truth in love to one another that we might grow into the head, into you, Jesus. Help us with that right now, we pray in your name. Amen.